Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. We are continuing to talk about the 2022 NHL draft. In the sixth round, the LA Kings selected from the Omaha Lancers, Jared Wright, here to talk to us about Jared. Nick Blazer, Director of Broadcasting and Media Relations for the Omaha Lancers. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, Jared Wright was uh, an overage player. He's 19 years old. Um, everything we heard was that he was uh, committed to Colgate University. It turns out, talking to Jared Wright, that's not the case anymore. Um, has, hasn't quite decided what, what he'll wind up doing. But uh, rather than looking forward, we're going to look back. You got a chance to watch Jared Wright all season long. Uh, appeared in 59 games for the Lancers, 15 goals, 34 points. So the first question that leaps out is uh, what kind of player is Jared Wright? I mean, Jared Wright is just a great kid on and off the ice. I kind of looked at him as a silent leader. Um, He's not a super outgoing kid, um, but, you know, he's always positive. He's always good energy to have on the bench, even throughout bad situations. Um, One thing that all of our fans love is that, well, A, he's he's one of the favorites to watch. Um, lightning fast forward. Anytime you dump the puck in down low, he's going to be the first one there. Uh, we actually had some scenarios where our defense kind of got caught up in our own zone, didn't really know what to do with it, and we'd just kind of see Jared out near the top of the faceoff circle and send it the length of the ice. And again, 70% of the time, he's going to beat out the defenseman with a 25-foot head start. I mean, he's gotten so many empty net goals that way, so many breakaways. Um, you know, he's just always the first man there. He's extremely smart with the puck and, you know, he's got some height to him, not a lot on the, on the weight as much as I think we would want him to, but, you know, he's good at playing the body when he needs to, he knows he doesn't need to hit a player off of his feet in order to get the possession of the puck. Very good at stick checking and just overall a phenomenal player that I think anyone would be very happy to have on their team. He's listed at six, two. Uh, does that sound right? Yeah, that's about right. All right, so the guy you're describing um, sounds an awful lot like a player the Kings fans are familiar with is Austin Wagner. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin Wagner, six foot one. He's a little bit bigger physically. Sounds like he's a you know a thicker fellow, but uh, blazing speed, lots of empty net goals. You know, defensemen if they're hemmed in their zone, they can throw it down there and he'll he'll beat him out to it. Um, Austin Wagner has I don't want to be cruel about it, but um, not known for his finishing ability. Um, if the finishing ability matched the speed, we'd be talking about Connor McDavid, essentially. Um, <laughs> is Jared Wright in that category of player where the speed is there, but perhaps he needs to round out the rest of his game a little bit? Um, no, I think he's very good at controlling his speed. Um, you know, I, I can kind of notice 
when he rushes all the way down to the other end to beat out that icing call, you know, he usually results in a sharp turn to slow the play down a little bit, wait for some offensive reinforcement there. But he always guarantees to have the possession on almost all of his breakaways. Um, you know, he never does too much with the puck, like all around, especially junior hockey. You know, everyone, obviously it's a developmental league. Everyone's looking to get a little bit better. And some players, I'm not going to name any names, but we have a few on our team as well, uh, tend to go in, they'll weave through all five guys on the ice. By the time they get to the goalie, they try to do one extra move and lose the puck and don't even get a shot off. Yeah. You really don't have that problem with Jared. Did it happen once or twice this year? Probably happens to everyone from time to time. But no, he's very, very good at finishing. And you just know you're at least going to get a shot on goal when he's got the puck in down low and looks like he's going to commit to shoot. So there's another former King, uh, Jack Campbell. He's now uh, with the Edmonton Oilers. And the joke that I would always tell about Jack Campbell is if you say his name out loud, a line will form outside your door of people trying to tell you what a great guy he is. Like they're just that excited to talk about what a great dude Jack Campbell is. Jared Wright's been in LA King for, I don't know, 10 days at this point, something <laughs> like that. And I've already heard from two different people inside the organization, what a great kid he is and how much they enjoyed their interactions with him um you mentioned that he's a great kid does that i mean does that sound like the jared right you know oh absolutely absolutely he's um you know like i said even when he might be down or the team might be down he's always there with a positive attitude and again not a super outgoing kid on the bench i don't think just from what i've observed from afar um, and from what I've heard from other players and things like that. But personally, you know, this upcoming season when he makes his return to the Lancers, um, obviously I'm not the one that picks the captains on the team, but I would personally give him a letter. Again, I think he'd be, um, I think if you gave him a letter, he would step up in that form of being a captain, whether he gets a C or an A on his jersey. But even if he's just kind of a silent leader, again, you just need that good energy. And, you know, he's one of the better players in the team, but I've always been one of those people that I've said, um, captains of a hockey team should never default to the best players on the team. It should always default to, you know, who's going to keep the energy good, who's going to be the motivator on the bench. Even if it's your fourth liner that plays eight minutes a night, you know, he should get that letter over someone that doesn't have those qualities as the top point getter. But I think Jared Wright has all those qualities. I think he can be a great leader. And, you know, he was he finished third in the regular season for points this season for us. So I think, you know, he's really got it all going for him. We just wrapped up training camp or excuse me, development camp. Um, God, I think that's the first time I've made that. <laughs> that, that slip. <laughs> but we just wrapped up development camp and uh, Jared Wright, Again, you know, sixth round pick, uh, overage player, going into a locker room with guys like Arthur Kaliev, who's played 80 games in the NHL. Um, you know, Samuel Fogamo has been a pro for a few years. Quentin Byfield, second overall pick. Some guys that are six foot six, six foot seven. We got one guy who's six foot eight. Like, <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting room. And he, I mean, whatever. I was in the room for three minutes after practice. Right, everybody's getting done so he doesn't stand out right in a room full of kids sitting there taking their equipment off but when we had a chance to talk to him i was struck by how centered grounded whatever the phrase you want to use <laughs> right present right like that mm -hmm. he was how does he handle you know you talked about the energy that that he brings and sound a little bit like uh, dustin brown at his retirement uh ceremony so we like that but but how does he off the ice when he's dealing with the coaching staff when he's dealing with the training staff you know when he's 
doing all the off the ice stuff that that comes with being a, a, a professional hockey player? Like how, how does he handle all that? Um, I think he, you know, if you have a problem with his play or something like that as a coach, I think he's very, very open to construct to constructive criticism. Um, I don't think we had an instance this past season where a coach was upset with him for whether it was a style of play or behavioral or anything like that. I don't think we had any problem with him at all because he's always one of those players and he's a reason why he's a fan favorite to watch is that, you know, if it's not our night, say we're down five to one in the third period, he's still going all out to try to make it a five, two game or whatever. He, he never quits. He never slows down. He has one speed and that's 1000%. And, you know, he, heads the bench for his line shift and he's ready to go again two minutes later. Um, so I don't think there were really many instances where he needed so much heavy criticism, but, you know, I'm sure throughout the season, things that I didn't hear on the bench, you know, there may have been issues with his play or something that was said during an intermission. But I mean, I've seen this entire team, something's not working for us for 40 minutes, come out in that third period with a whole new offensive strategy and the entire team is able to adapt to that. And we've actually had a bunch of third period comebacks this year by completely flipping the script in those last 20 minutes. And as a top liner, he's always been one of the head guys to kind of lead the way when it comes to that. We've heard from King's scouting department recently, and we have learned now that there are a lot of players that they track over a number of years, right? They make a, they're constantly adding information to their scouting profiles and we took, I think, three guys this year, 19, uh, you know, D, D plus one, I guess, from what they could have been taken. And the book on all of them was that they had things that the scouting staff liked. And then, but they wanted to see them add more to their game develop. And these three guys over the last season showed the, the team that they were getting better, that they were developing it's just one year. So, you know, hard to tell, but did you see Jared Wright improving over the, what is it? 56 games, uh, 59 games, excuse me, 59 games that he played. Like, could you see growth from game one to game 59 and then into the playoffs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he was one of those players where he was always um, on one of the top two lines. I think I might've seen him drop down to the third line one instance very early on in the season. Um, but you know, it was his first year in the United States hockey league. So obviously he had to adapt from the league he was playing in, in Minnesota before, even though that was still elite level hockey, especially for the state of Minnesota. Um, but yes, throughout the season, you know, he went from being in the middle of the point getting list to the top three, uh, come game number 62 at the end of the year. And I think two of the games he didn't play in were actually the last two games of the season that really didn't mean much to either team that were playing in them. You know, we were already, we already knew we had home ice for the opening round of the playoffs, fourth place in the Western conference. And we were playing the Sioux city Musketeers who had already clinched the first round by. Um, and I remember that weekend Sioux city was still going full force because they had that week off. So they had to keep their players going, but in the United States hockey league, it's such a quick turnaround. And I really don't like how quick of a turnaround it is, but you know, you play on Saturday night, as your as game number 62 of the regular season and game one of the playoffs is Monday. So you get one day off. And I believe, yeah, two out of the three games he didn't play in throughout the regular season were those two final regular season games. If I remember correctly, the other game that he was a healthy scratch for was very, very early on around the 2021 USHL fall classic in Pittsburgh. We were just trying to get everyone some equal playing time. 
uh, that weekend to see what everyone could do. But yeah, like I said, going back to the beginning of my statement, he was right in the middle of the point getting for the first half of the season, and he really took off. And if you look at his stats game by game, all of his multi-point games were towards the last third of the regular season, including, you know, we had four playoff games made the second round and in the USHL, their best two out of three for the opening two rounds of the Clark Cup playoffs. Uh, we swept the Fargo force and then got swept by the Anderson Cup winner, uh, Tri-City Storm this year. And he picked up three points in those four games, one goal and two assists and really played a key role in sweeping the Fargo force in the beginning of the playoffs. I have no idea what the fan presence is in the USHL. Um, I imagine, I mean, obviously they're fans. Um, (laughs) How is he in, you know, like community relations stuff, you know, when, when, whenever players are called on to interact with the fans or, you know, attend meet and greets, whatever, how does he handle that kind of stuff? I mean, he's, he's always been fine doing it. I mean, there are definitely some guys that like jump out of their seat when, you know, getting involved in the community and things like that. And then there's guys that, you know, are very introverted because some of these kids are 16. Yeah. Their social skills aren't the best. You never really have that problem with Jared. Um, He's always been one of those guys that have come off to me as um, he might not come to you to ask about things like that. But if you tell him, hey, we need you to go sign some autographs after the game upstairs for 15 minutes, you know, he's going to have absolutely no problem with doing that. And, um, you know, a lot of the fans really like his character as well off the ice, like I stated earlier, which also makes him a fan favorite in that sense as well. Anytime a player gets drafted, I mean, look, there's seven rounds of the draft. There's 32 now kids taken in each round. So you have to find the upside. You have to find the positive, even if it's the last pick in the draft. You're not going to say, well, look, he's the last pick in the draft. He's not going to play. Um, <laughs> but I have spoken, like I said, I've spoken to at least two people who rave about the kid's personality. And I've spoken to at least a couple of people who who have said earnestly and seriously that they believe there's a path to the NHL for Jared Wright based on his skill set, his work ethic, what they've seen so far. Could you see Jared Wright playing on an NHL roster uh, in his career? Um, Absolutely. Um, You know, next year, no, but you know, some years down the line with another year of development in the USHL and then um, going to whatever college he chooses to go to. Cause I, (laughs) I actually didn't know that, um until you told me just we now. didn't either we we thought we were being very clever we we're like so colgate university and it was like ah. well i mean towards the time of the season because i always peek at the line charts every game because mm-hmm. i always have all my notes written on it and i'm just like you know colgate still a great school still division one hockey but like after seeing this kid play this year it's like he needs to be at a umass a western michigan a university of minnesota something like that. And I think that's where he's going to end up, especially after another year here. You know, I'm sure around Christmas time, halfway through the season, I'll get the alert that he recommitted to a bigger name than Colgate University, even though, you know, I think he's going to thrive anywhere that he goes. Um, But definitely, I think he could be in the NHL. And um, one of the players I always relate him to, um, I grew up a Detroit Red Wings fan. I'm from Michigan, was uh, Darren Helm. Um, obviously he's now at the Colorado avalanche. Um, so I don't watch him as much, but at least when his time was in Detroit and he was young, you know, he was the same kind of player lightning fast forward, except he was never, you know, a top point getter for the Red Wings at the time. Um, but he was always the first man into the corner, digging up those loose pucks and setting up plays in the offensive zone, 
picking up far more assists than goals, a lot more of a playmaker and a goal scorer. Um, but yeah, I mean, lightning fast, always the first to lose pucks. On a personal side, does it hurt when uh, Michiganders wind up in Colorado? <laughs> um, considering the rivalry is nothing like it used to be. Fair. Yeah, um, that's true. I don't know how old you are. You might not even remember those days. So, I mean, I, I, I just turned 24. So like that. Oh okay. So you have no idea. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, I know all about it. Just sure. history. I just watched that documentary that just came out not long ago from ESPN. Um, and I, it, it kind of just, I looked at it from a different perspective there, but I knew the base information already. Um, but no, to me, that's the best rivalry in all of sports. Obviously, I'm biased because hockey is the number one thing for me. But there's definitely, you know, the only rivalry that can possibly flirt with that one is uh, the Canadians and the Maple Leaf or Canadians and the Bruins. Um, I really like that rivalry as well. Um, but I think nothing will top that. I mean, it was more. You know, when you had the Darren McCarty and Claude Lemieux out there, it was more about I'd rather win the fight than the game. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, yeah, it, it doesn't hurt that much anymore. Personally, the team that I dislike the most is when I see any Red Wing head to Chicago. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Darren Helm was one of those players that I knew, you know, when his contract was up, he probably wasn't going to resign or anything like that. Um, but I was very, very happy to see him get a Stanley Cup this year. So he he was he was the main reason why I was rooting for Colorado. And especially now that I'm in Omaha, I've figured out that uh people that watch hockey here also root for the Avalanche. So it was a big deal here. And um and so I kind of just leaned that way as well. Well, if you want an, another documentary to watch about that uh, era, it's called The Russian Five. Uh, and it's about the Detroit Red Wings scouting and acquiring the five Russian players mm-hmm. that helped them win back-to-back. <laughs> Nick, uh, I'm going to let you go, but thanks very much for joining me. really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Thank you. Bad calls, dirty slashing. We expect a little bull on the ice. But you know when we can't stand it? When we're tracking packages. Looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated... We call Bullship. So we got Route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No Bullship, just great tracking. All right, we are here to do another update on our off-season questions for the LA Kings. Helping me today, Daryl Evans. How are you doing today, Daryl? I'm great, Jess. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I wasn't planning on asking this question, but it just popped in my head. You're doing the run club every Sunday, right? Yes, sir. What if it's, like, miserable hot? <laughs> and like, Well, then you sweat a lot. Yeah, all right. Yeah, the, <laughs> so uh, I'm just wondering, like, if two people show up, are you running anyway? Does it matter? You... going to run anyway. You know, all we've right. been pretty fortunate. We, we run at 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So generally along the coast there, there's either the marine layer right. or if we're running along the strand, we get the shade from the buildings there. So it actually Perfect. works out pretty good. I mean, so be it. There can be some days that are, uh, you know, extremely hot, but we've been pretty fortunate. That only happens generally a couple of times through the course of a year. So uh, we just bear with it. You just maybe pull back your pace a little bit. And just make sure you're hydrated. All right. Well, if anybody wants to go running, uh, where, <laughs> where can they find the Sunday Run Club? Well, Sunday Run Club generally meets uh, down at the Hermosa Beach Pier. 
But from time to time throughout the summer, we uh, we move it back and we'll meet at uh, Fry's Electronics, the okay. old fly Fry's Electronics there at uh, Sepulveda and Rosecrans, um, just because uh, there might be an event going down down at the beach. So we'll meet up there and then we're, we're able to run the green belt and that's a little bit shaded. There's water along the path as well. So it's a, it's a kind of a nice little change of pace. All right, perfect. Well, let's get into uh, the off-season stuff because I think we did this two weeks ago and I wasn't really expecting to do another update. <laughs> uh, but then um, a bunch of stuff happened that, that I that I wanted to talk about personally. So the the number one question, and I've begun including this in every sort of 10 questions thing we do, whether it's for a season or an off-season, um, because I've really begun to realize just how important the, this question can be. And it doesn't have anything to do with the Kings. And it's always, what will the rest of the Pacific Division do? Um, because the Kings could have an incredible season and miss the playoffs if three other teams are better than them. And they could have a lousy season and make the playoffs if none of the other teams are any good. So the first one at top of my list is Calgary. Um, I had to have a chuckle. Daryl, because the day of the Matthew Kachuk trade, I was talking to somebody on the phone. I wish I had tweeted this instead of just saying it in a phone conversation. But I said, you know, there's part of me that's hoping that Calgary replaces Goudreau and Kachuk with three or four guys that are, you know, obviously not as good as those two, maybe, but that are 75% as good or 80% as good. And they wind up being better on the whole. And everybody and everybody who's predicting the demise of the Calgary Flames will have to eat it because they wind up being better. I don't know if Uyghur and and Huberdeau, and I don't. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm unfamiliar with the prospect they got. I don't know if those two guys are you know better than Goudreau and Kachuk, but I don't think Calgary's going anywhere. No, I, I would agree with you there. You know, you, you've got to weigh out how the chemistry is going to build. Uh, let's face it, both Goudreau and Kachuk, you know, built themselves a, you know, real solid uh, foundation there with the Calgary Flames. Uh, they had established roles and they were successful at it. Now, you look at the pieces that they bring in with Huberto up front and then Uyghur, uh, two very good players. You look at Huberto, led the NHL with 85 assists this year, 115 points. Uyghur on the blue line contributes with 40 points back there as a blue liner. So they got two very, very good hockey players. So I wouldn't expect the Calgary Flames, uh, you know, to fall off much. Uh, some people might even say that they may have improved in some, in, in some way. But only time will tell, like I say, once the chemistry comes together. We've all seen a lot of teams look really good on paper. But I think these guys eventually are going to find their way to fit in with the Calgary Flames. And Calgary's going to be a very competitive team. Uh, you know, they're uh, not going to be real happy with the way the season closed out for them losing in the playoffs. And they've got a lot to prove again. So you're going to have some guys that are going to step up and uh, try to make uh, make everybody believe that, you know, or make sure everybody knows that last year wasn't a fluke for them. Yeah, and people have pointed out that their contracts expire at the end of the year. And there's been theories and, and speculation. Oh, they could flip both of those guys and they could turn Kachuk into, you know, eight picks instead of one or whatever it is. I just look at Daryl Sutter. I look at the moves they've made recently and I just think like, I don't, doesn't strike me as a franchise looking to cash in their chips and and invest in a long term rebuild phase. They got some good players um, that those players give them options for trading other. Pl- I don't know. I just, I like I yeah, said, I, I think the the rumors of their demise were. Yeah, I think I think Jesse, like what you say there is, what they have now is they're in the driver's seat. They have the flexibility 
you know, again, if this year just happens to, you know, fall apart for them and let's say they run into contract, uh, you know, uh, hiccups with, uh, you know, Huberdeau and, uh, and Uyghur, then they might elect to go. But I would say this was when the, when the deal was made, it was made for a long term deal. And I wouldn't be surprised already if they've got, uh, you know, the foundation for a, you know, for contracts already in place for those guys. And, uh, you know, I think those guys will, will be a good fit there. They're both two good team players. And let's face it, we both know they can contribute. They played on a really good team in Florida. And there should be no reason that they can't go into Calgary and, and, and be very efficient, and very effective players and play in a lot of the critical situations. Another move in the Pacific Division, Jack Campbell winds up in Edmonton. I think that's I've heard people debate whether or not it's an upgrade for Edmonton. I don't know if it's an upgrade, but I think it's an upgrade in stability, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think, again, you, you know, you look at a Jack Campbell and, you know, we're very familiar with him having been with the Kings. Uh, you know, he went to Toronto and let, let's face it, that's uh, one of the toughest markets to play in. Uh, and, you know, probably to, to a fault of his, you know, he tried to shoulder a lot of the, you know, the negativity and took a lot of blame for losses, which he, he really probably shouldn't have done because he didn't deserve the blame. You know, he's going to go to a team in Edmonton and has some similarities that they had in Toronto. A lot of firepower, needless to say. Um, you know, definitely a younger goaltender than what they had in Smith. Uh, and again, he's still looking to, pr- you know, prove himself. You know, even though he's, you know, he's, he's got that contract, he's making the good money and all that. He still wants to establish himself as a guy that, you know, is reliable, dependable, can carry a team on the playoffs. And, you know, again, ultimately wants to win a Stanley Cup. But, you know, but be able to carry a team and play 60, 65 games a year and, and be the go-to guy where, you know, in Toronto, that seemed to uh, be in question at times and no fault of his own. But, uh, you know, I think Edmonton get a, again, like you say, I think the more stable guy in Jack Campbell. And uh, we'll see what he's able to apply from what he learned in his in an experience with uh, the Maple Leafs uh, moving forward with the Oilers. Moving on into the Pacific Division, um, the, the Vegas Golden Knights trade Max Pacioretty for nothing. I mean, it's not nothing. It's future considerations, but nine times out of ten, maybe more future considerations winds up being actually nothing. Uh, Vegas comes into the league five years ago, you know, masterfully uh, manipulates the the expansion draft rules, makes the Stanley Cup final, and then almost immediately, almost before the season was over, wound up dismantling everything that they did that was successful. And now they're, they're I mean, they are just... What's going on, Daryl? It's just they totally mucked with everything that worked for them. Yeah, you know, and they had something special there. And, you know, they had, uh, you know, special things that were, you know, pulling that team along that pulled everybody together. They got the support of the community, you know, after the tragedy that happened just prior to the season starting. And they had something really special, a special group of guys there that, uh, you know, that generated a lot of success. And, you know, they were they were on the, you know, the threshold of accomplishing, you know, something just, you know, a lot of people wouldn't believe could ever happen. Um, and then I think maybe what you see after following up on that is, you know, they felt that they were that close where maybe in reality is they may have been close with the way that series and the way that season went, but probably in the big scheme of things, they still had some work to do. And a lot of people say they, you know, probably should be a little bit more patient with what they've, you know, with the players that they've had 
instead of you know just shuffling the deck all the time you know on paper they look they look amazing i mean you look at the team on paper last year but you and one of the things that and it applies to every team is you, you've got to have health you've got to have a healthy hockey club you know they had lots of injuries last year no excuse every team went through it everybody had covid issues and now uh, you know for them unfortunately some of those injuries uh, they've got some injuries that carry on into this season that, uh, you know, leaves them a little bit, uh, you know, in question at the beginning of the season. But, um, you know, I still think they've got enough pride within the players themselves. They've got a lot of, you know, mature veteran players. Uh, they've got some guys that have one. Uh, you look at guys like Alec Martinez that can share the experience that he had with the Kings. And, um, I, I, again, I, I don't think you can count them out. Um, are they as good as a team as they were a few years ago? That might be in question, but uh, the compete level and the pride level. Uh, this is a group that, uh, again, you know, for the first time in uh, in franchise history, they don't make it to the postseason. So they want to get back on the dance floor, and uh, they're going to have a lot of guys that are working extremely hard this summer to do so. Yeah, certainly not counting them out. They should still. They have enough truly great players to be competitive. I just, I was so. I don't know, disappointed that I don't like that they were doing something that had really not ever been done before. And now they're just a very good version of every other very good team. Uh, <laughs> this, uh, a bummer. All right. So we're going to move to the Kings now. It's enough of the Pacific division. This is a Kings show. Uh, we talked about the draft two weeks ago. We know the guys that uh, the Kings have taken. Um, we talked about Adrian Kempe's extension, Mikey Anderson and Sean Dersey are the two players remaining who have not signed uh, new contracts, but have, uh, been offered qualifying uh, offers. But the forwards, Jared Anderson Dolan and Gabriel Velarde have signed one-year deals. Jared Anderson Dolan's deal is a two-way deal. Gabriel Velarde's is a one-way deal. And I want to be real clear about this because I see people misunderstanding or getting confused by the terminology here. So I want to be real clear about it. Uh, One-way deal versus a two-way deal has nothing to do with whether or not a player is able to be sent to the minors. It just means if he is sent to the minors, he gets a separate uh, amount of money. Um, So if Jared Anderson Dolan plays every day that Jared Anderson Dolan is in the AHL, he gets a smaller amount of money than every day he's in the NHL, whereas Gabe Velarde will be paid the same amount of money regardless um, of whether or not he's with the Ontario Reign or the LA Kings. Both of them would require waivers to be sent to Ontario. Uh, contracts are signed for a lot of different reasons. TJ Tynan, for example, signed a, two, a two-year deal with the second year being one-way and the first year being two-way. That just means in the second year, he's paid you know the same amount of money no matter what. But contracts are structured sometimes to reward players sometimes to encourage them to sign contracts sometimes theoretically to prevent other teams from making bids on them should we read anything into the terms of jared anderson dolan and gabriel velarde's contracts should we read anything into that into what the expectations or hopes for them are regarding their ability to compete for a roster spot in training camp it's a very long question i apologize no, I, you know, I, I, when I listen to everything that you just said, you're, you know, you explained it very clearly as to, you know, what their contracts mean and, you know, where they play and how much money they make. Uh, I think the reason or when you look at the term, you know, both one year deals, uh, I, th- I think it's important because now that these guys require waivers to go down to Ontario, if that be it, uh, their audition, this is an audition for them that is, is uh, at a crossroads in their career. Uh, 
be it when you, you know, when you're auditioning, of course you need an opportunity, but I know the coaching staff management, you know, they're going to go into training camp and, you know, they're going to kind of, you know, there's certain guys that are penciled in, you know, into their positions. But if you come in and all of a sudden you've got just a little bit of extra shine that somebody else has, you get yourself maybe an exhibition game that they weren't planning on, or maybe an extra couple of exhibition games. And, you know, unfortunately that, each one of those performances probably needs to be a little bit better than the guys that are already penciled in. I think also as well, when you look at guys like that uh, and, you know, look at what happened last year, you know, in particular on the blue line, at the NHL, you know, 20 players dress for a game, 23 on an active roster. But I think now the number is probably closer to 30, probably 28 to 30 that have to have the ability to be able to play in the NHL. And we know that those guys and Anderson Dolan and Velarde both have the ability to play in the NHL. Kings don't have enough spots for 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 everybody. But again, you know, you look at a couple of guys that you know had some things done in the off season. Are they going to be ready at the beginning of the year? Only time will tell. So I think the luxury of depth for the Kings is a good one uh, from a personal standpoint for those guys. You know, uh, like I say, with the injuries in particular and a clean slate at the beginning of the year, you know, it's they've got an opportunity. They've got, they've got to go out there and they've got to open some eyes. And, you know, their their margin of error might be a little bit less than the other guys, but uh, there's a chance there. So uh, that's what you look for in a player in that position. Uh, you know, you're not going to be able to go to another team and, you know, all of a sudden just say, bang, they're going to throw you in the NHL. Otherwise, you know, some type of deal would have come about. So. Uh, they've got to approach camp that this is an opportunity to get on there, get themselves a you know a full time spot on the roster, be one of those twenty three guys to start. Uh, force force the Kings to make difficult decisions, and the more difficult the Kings' decisions are, the better the team is going to be. So it'll be interesting to see the way these guys compete because it's going to be a very competitive training camp with you know the, the changes that have been made and the development and the growth that was shown this past year. Yeah, and. I, I I am trying to move away from uh, creating content that speculates about specific lineups um, for a number of reasons I won't get into, but I'm going to do it here anyway. Um, with the acquisition of Kevin Fiala, I've seen a lot of people assume that opening night, assuming full health, the roster would be Fiala, Kopitar, Kempe, uh, Moore, Deneau, Arvidsson, Ayafalo, Byfield, Kaliev, Lemieux, Lazat, Grunstrom, and then a fight for the last two forward spots between Velarde, Anderson, Anderson, Dolan, Kupari, and whoever else um, anybody thinks would have a, a shot at that. But I'm not sure, uh, Daryl, that we should assume anything about line combinations uh, in July. No, I, I agree with you there. You know, again, you know, if you're sitting there and again, we're just think, throwing things out of there from our mind, that would be a natural um, coaching staff in particular might have something. They look at it an ingredient with, uh, and I'll just use Fiala because he's the new, the new kid on the block, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe they see something in, let's say, Deneau's game that would extremely complement, you know, his game or vice versa the other way that, you know, you never know. You you might try something out like in a, in a preseason game, like when you when you have to have so many guys out there. I really don't expect anything like that. Uh, with Fiala's ability to be able to finish, uh, the speed element that he plays the game with, his ability to play make as well. I think you know he's a really good fit on that Kopitar unit uh, along with Kempe. I, I think that would be really good, and we all know the success that the Dano line had. But, you know, is Arvidsson going to be ready to, you know, start right off the get-go? There's another question. So, you know, there might be a little bit of shuffling. These are things that, 
you know, could change, you know, from now to next week, from, you know, now till, you know, 10 weeks when, you know, when the season gets going. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, what the Kings have right now is with the changes that have been made, they have more flexibility in their roster of being able to move up and down. Guys are slotted in better positions where they can succeed. Uh, you're not necessarily putting a guy that should probably be on a fourth line and you're looking for big numbers on a second line from them. So, uh, it, which makes those positions a little bit more competitive. But Fiala is going to be, you know, he's going to get some time on the power play. There's no doubt about it. He's going to be on that top unit. Um, you know, he's so Kopitar, you know, assuming that Kopitar is the guy that's going to, you know, be that quarterback up front there. They may try, you know, some different options and elements now. Uh, having Dowdy and uh, Walker back available at the beginning of the year might change the whole structure of the power play. And again, with you know, with uh, not Marco Sturm not being around, they might have some whole different, you know, uh, you know, things that they're going to try to put together, which might include different personnel. So there's a lot of things and a lot of thinking that is going to go into it. And there's probably going to be some experiment, uh, not only through the first few days of training camp, but those preseason games that uh, lead up to uh, setting up the opening night roster. Now, I want to talk about the defense, too. Before we get to that, I want to toss out a couple more ideas, pieces of information, I guess, because I see a lot of fans, whether it's on message boards or Reddit or Twitter, um, I see a lot of conversations about, oh, well, what's the cap situation? Can they re-sign Mikey Anderson? Can they re-sign Sean Dursey? How much is it going to be? And one of my favorite expressions is a little bit of information is a dangerous thing. Uh, and I see people referencing Cap Friendly, which is an incredible website and a wonderful tool. But if you don't know how to read it, um, or you don't know what you're looking at, it can be misleading. So when people talk about the cap, the cap is just the guys on that 23-man active roster that you were talking about. And it doesn't have to be 23. It can be 21 or 22. And the number that Cap Friendly is going to give you today is somewhat arbitrary. That's not the roster. That's just the, that's just the guys that they have in those spots. So <laughs> the Kings... Yep. Kings don't have 14 forwards under contract. I think they have 28 guys under contract, <laughs> but but 14 of them are going to be in LA. Well, probably only 14, maybe less. Maybe I think theoretically the most you could have is 15 if you decided to go with three healthy scratch forwards and no. But anyway, the point is the cap isn't every guy you have under contract. The cap is just the guys you have under contract on your NHL roster, and it is accumulated day by day. So don't worry about that. And then the other thing is, I know Dooley and now everybody in the office likes to tease me about caring about the 50 contract limit. Uh, but Daryl, I'm not worried about it. I'm just aware of it because I like to know, you know, I like asking you about the the terms of the contract. I try to get as much information and try and guess based on that information what is possible and what might happen in the future. And currently the Kings are at 46 contracts. If Dersey and Anderson sign theirs, they'll move up to 48. And again, I'm not worried about hitting the 50 contract limit. I'm just aware that that tells me, okay, at 48 with uh, Brant Clark and Fr Francesco Pinelli possibly sliding, that would bring it, bring it back down to 46. I go, okay, that's how much flexibility they have to add a Phoenix Copley or a, a Paquette Bisson or, or if they want to make a trade, one guy for three, okay, that's their wiggle room. So I'm not... Again, not worried about it, just aware of it. But having said all that, again, the Brant Clark issue. Brant Clark can play for, what, nine games? Uh, before they have to make a decision on this year of his contract? Correct. 
And they've got seven guys, uh, Anderson, Dowdy, Bjornfoot, Roy, Edler, Walker, and Dursey, that I think most people would assume uh, will be given every opportunity. Although I've seen some people theorize that Bjornfoot might start in Ontario because he wouldn't need to clear waivers. Now we're getting super complicated. Um, I guess my question for you, Daryl, is could we see a situation where we start the season with eight players on defense to give Brant Clark not just nine games of the regular season, but maybe one game on, one game off, and extend his time in the NHL as long as possible. Anything is possible, Jesse. Sure. <laughs> sure. And, you know, like we talked about with the forwards with Arvidsson, you look at Dursey, is Dursey going to be able to go on the opening night, you know, after having the work that he done in the offseason as well? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you can't predict that kind of stuff right now. That's probably something you got to look at maybe at the beginning of September, uh, you know, to see whether or not even like when training camp starts, are those guys in full contact or are they out there, uh, you know, skating obviously and going through the drills but if they're not in full contact at that time that probably pushes them off a little bit and what it does is it does open the doors for guys like Clark like that to you know to you know to get an opportunity I think they're going to get a look at Clark I would expect to see him in the preseason games and you know a lot of a lot will determine on how how he performs the way you know it's one thing you come out in development camp and you can see these guys that are let's say a layer above other players are playing against their peers but how is their game in comparison to you know the teams they'll play in the preseason? Now, and then you look at the rosters that they're against in the preseason. You know, there might be mixed up a blend of twelve NHL players with you know maybe maybe eight young players, uh, and you know and then you got to assess how they are in those games, and then you maybe try to predict how would they match up against you know Colorado? How would they match up against Edmonton? You know, like you know, especially like you say, like a, a defenseman, like you know, are they able to you know to play at that pace? Um, so there's there's a lot of questions, but I think you know what you do is the way you get answers to the questions is what the Kings did this past season, and a lot of teams have done the last couple of years with COVID and that is you give these guys a chance to play, and they're going to get a chance to play whether it be injury, uh, you know, you look at you know guys just uh, you know managing managing their time, their playing time, guys need a rest from time to time, uh, you know, so they're going to get a chance, and you got to make the best of those opportunities. Uh, you know, Kings had some young players that came in last year that, you know, did extremely well with their auditions. Uh, Spence played, you know, marvelously, you know, in, in the games he played. And, and then in the postseason, you know, here he is up playing against, you know, some of the, you know, most explosive forwards in the game and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, you know, and Evander Kane, who's a power forward that uh, had an exceptional playoff. Uh, Mo Verara, you know, he did a great job as well. So they got a couple of guys back in that blue line that, you know, it's, uh, you know, did a heck of a job with their audition. Now, you know, you come back and, you know, if they find themselves an inside track on one of the other guys, uh, because maybe said the other guys weren't quite as prepared, uh, then, you know, again, you got some questions answered. But it's a good situation uh, to be in. You don't want to ever overthink it because, you know, sometimes you can sit there as a management group or, you know, guys like yourself and I were sitting on the outside, we're looking at things and you go, how, how are they going to get this done? But, everything works its way out. It's, uh, you know, the amount of contracts that you have, the injuries that you have. Like, you know, if you would have said, you know, if we look back now and we play Monday morning quarterback, you say, how would the Kings ever have played without any of the guys that they had on their, on their uh, opening night roster on defense without six guys? Not only did they play, they succeeded. They went out and they found a way to get into the playoffs with those guys. So uh, these guys were all professional. Everybody's waiting for an opportunity. And the more competitive you can be in every position, the better off your team is going to be for the long run. And 
I just want to revisit the notion that a little bit of information is a dangerous thing. And I, I say, I say some of these things. I hope it doesn't come across as um, scolding or, or teasing people because I understand that fans just want to understand, right? And I, you know, yep. I was I was a kid who read, used to read the sports page from cover to cover every day, just in the hopes that there might be a paragraph about the Kings snuck into a page <laughs> two column or something. So I get it. Um, but the Rob Blake quote that you and I both were in the room for uh, at the end of the season. Um, where he said he expected a right shot defenseman to play on the left side. Um, that comment was made before Muvarari, Edler, uh, Paquette Bisson, and uh, and Mikey Anderson. You know, signed their contract. Mikey Anderson still hasn't signed his extension, yeah. but but that comment was made at a time and in a world where they we didn't know. Like I think Toby Bjornfoot was the only guy they had <laughs> under contract, or maybe uh, New Zealand right. as well. Um, but now. You know, I we heard Jarrett Stoll say to, a couple of days ago that they, you know, and he didn't say it. He's just sort of off the hand side comment, but said they, you know, they all hoped that Toby Bjornfoot would play 82 games this year. Um, yep. Well, if Edler's got a no move clause and Anderson's presumably going to play with Dowdy or maybe not with Dowdy, but certainly a lot, although I would expect him to play with Dowdy. Um, and you expect Bjornfoot to play 82 games. Well, then now you don't need a right shot defenseman to move over to us. So all, all I'm saying is it's still July. Um, like you said, things will work out. Yep. No, no team has ever gone over the limit or over the cap because <laughs> you can't. No. Um, and, and you're, you're going to, you know, you're going to experiment things. And even if it's not, if it's something that you don't need to apply opening night of the season, you know, as, the, as the year goes on, you know, now that they had a year just kind of like they had, okay, if something similar happens next year, what would be our first moves? Well, now if you know, like, again, let's say they start the season off with one of the right shot defensemen over on the left side, you go, all right, we have that flexibility. Is it the ideal situation? Maybe not what everybody thinks, but there are a lot of guys who can play their offside. There's a, there's advantages to playing your offside, whether you're a defenseman or you're a forward. It's, it, you know, it's done on every team. It's done on the power play and things like that. So, uh, this is just all it does is it just gives the you know the coaching staff and management a better understanding of what the limitations are for the individuals that they have and if the kings like anybody else feel they have a void where they need to have it's got to be a left shot defenseman or it's got to be a left winger a left shot winger that's got to play on the line then you know they'll figure that out but it's experiment time uh you know like between now and you know and training camp and you know even the, the early part of the season i mean uh, not that the games early in the year don't mean anything. Uh, those might be the ones to decide whether you're not getting the playoffs. But, you know, it's still where the coaches are figuring out their personnel, that, you know, the guys that you've either developed and brought up through your system or the guys that you acquire through free agency and trade. Uh, you know, you, you've got to kind of, you know, massage everything and, and see what works best for your team. One final thought before I wrap this up, Daryl, and this is um, scolding and mocking, and I apologize for being petty in advance. I uh, just want to point out that Jacob Chikrin is still an Arizona Coyote and Philip Forsberg is still a Nashville Predator. So uh, don't always believe the things that you see repeated <laughs> over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So uh, <laughs> that's all I got on that one, Daryl. Well, I, I mean, you look at both those individuals and you know how many times their names have come up. And, uh, you know, Arizona in particular, you know, they're a team that, you know, they've got – Aside from what's going on with their roster, they've got so many, you know, issues, you know, and I don't want to say they are distractions, like what's going on with a new building, you know, and things like that. So, um, 
you know, they, you know, they're asking price. And, you know, I think, you know, if you look in the past, their asking price was probably a little bit higher because we didn't see anybody jump on it. Uh, you know, Forsberg, you know, you look at everybody thought that, you know, he was on his way out. So it's, you, you can't assume anything. Um, you know, these players are both good players and, you know, their, their organizations aren't going to give them away. And, uh, you know, they want, they're going to look out for what's best for their team. And if it means, you know, having to overpay a little bit, at least it's something that, you know, that you know what you already have in hand. You know, everybody always thinks that, you know, we go out and get this guy, this guy's going to be better. That's not always the case. You know exactly what you have in hand. And, you know, the case of uh, Chikrin in particular, he's a young guy that, you know, he still hasn't even, I don't think he's reached his, uh, you know, his uh, plateau yet. I think he's, you know, he's still got some growth in his game. Uh, Forsberg's establishing himself. And, you know, the Predators, you know, they've made some significant significant changes. And how's he going to fit in with that group? So, uh, you know, it's it's an, it's an ongoing thing. It's a day-to-day thing. And right now in the offseason, when we have extra time, this is there where we do that bad thing that we shouldn't be doing. And that's overthinking things. It's uh, It'll all play its way out. And, uh you know, coaches management will find a way to get the best out of it. Well, I'm looking forward to training camp, Daryl. It's uh, two months away, uh, but we'll talk to you before then. And I appreciate you as always. I look forward to it, Jesse. If you want to catch up with me, how about we meet at the run club one day? Uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to move first. I'm a little bit too early. So what you're saying, there's a <laughs> yeah, chance. Yeah, yeah, there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> All right. So talk to you soon. All right, Jess. Take care, young man. God bless you.